Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq El Amin, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. You can catch us on this station every evening from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And if you happen to miss the live broadcast or the live stream, you can always go to wherever you get your podcast and you will find us at Radio Islam USA. That's right. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud and TuneIn. And also take a moment to make sure that you are connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at that same username that is at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And last but not least, take a moment to stop by RadioIslam.com. There you can check out guest picks, bios, and basically just stay up to date with what's going on with the Radio Islam family. All right, folks, all of that good stuff is out the way now. And uh, we're going to turn to actually a much more serious uh, and an urgent matter right now. Uh, many of you, if you're watching uh, the news and looking for reports on the uh, crisis that is going on right now between two of the uh, two of the world's nuclear powers. Um, I think that's important to really frame this in, in, in the, the severity uh, that it represents uh, between India and Pakistan regarding the Kashmir. Uh, if you have been looking for that type of coverage on the major news networks in the U.S., um, you probably haven't seen it. You probably had to go somewhere like Al Jazeera uh, to, to be informed or BBC um, you know, to get some information on that. But to help us unpack uh, and to kind of take a deep dive and, and understand what's going on, uh, I'm really happy to have joining us again uh, on the line, Professor Janaid Ahmed. He is the Iqbal Chair of Pakistan Studies at the University of Leeds, UK, the Director for the Center for Global Studies and Assistant Professor at the University of Management Technology in Lahore, a UC Berkeley Research Fellow in Islamophobia Studies, a Research Fellow at the Center for Islam and Global Affairs in Istanbul, and Secretary General of the International Movement for a Just World based in Kuala Lumpur. So we are pleased to welcome him back to the program. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. So good to be with you again. Yeah, so uh, let's just jump right into this, right? We we have a, a standoff that is going on right now uh, that most folks... At least, like I said, looking for information on this in the uh, in, in Western media, uh, particularly in the U.S., they're not really seeing um, two nuclear powers. We're talking we've got human rights abuses and freedom and independence and, and so many other things that are embedded in this. Could you kind of help? Where, where do we start out in understanding what's going on? Absolutely. Well, I think uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, not only is there not much coverage right now, but even when there is coverage uh, on uh, particularly Pakistan or uh, throughout this uh, global Pakistan, Pakistan um, it has been uh, completely a distortion of actually what's going on, uh, gross misrepresentation of of the region of of both. And there's a, a curious, uh, very interesting new book that's come out. Pakistan has the most misrepresented and misunderstood country. Wow. Uh, and I think uh, it makes a very, very compelling case uh, because I think we, and this, uh, what has transpired over this very, uh, you know, hair-splitting and dangerous past week um, is a great example of how uh, distorted our perceptions 
are because of the way mainstream media and general uh, Western pol uh, po the political elite frame what's going on in South Asia, in, in, in Pakistan, India, and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, think, I think that what we have seen over this past week is the complete reversal of the image that Western media and political elites want to sell us. That is, uh, uh, Pakistan as this rogue, pariah country with these uh, horrible uh, generals and intelligence services up to no good against this great, uh, greatest, biggest democracy in the world known as India uh, that is uh, shining and, and everything's all good uh, and fine and dandy there. You've seen the absolute opposite. You've seen a right-wing government in India um, unhindered in its belligerence towards Pakistan and a Pakistan that is begging India to be, have some sense and realize there are two nuclear powers right. uh, and that this is not the way to go, come back to the negotiating table. And the, the, I mean, we, we get, we'll get into the details, but the culmination of that is that even the fighter jet that was going to bomb God knows where in Pakistan, Indian fighter jet that was shot down by the Pakistanis, the uh, POW captured, the, uh, the fighter pilot, he, he you know, came out alive, was mm -hmm. protected by the Pakistani military, and now, as a goodwill gesture, is going to be turned back to, over to the Indians by the Pakistanis on, on uh, tomorrow. So, right. it, but I'm not sure how much of this is actually getting any coverage. You know you what? Know, in, in I've, got, I've got to mention this really quickly, because you mentioned the fighter pilot. Uh, one of the things that, and it's not uncommon, I think we're used to seeing yeah. testimonies from uh, from prisoners of war where they yeah. are forced to make statements. But this was a statement that was made, uh, I think, with that with that awareness in mind, you know, on behalf of the uh, fighter pilot who said that he had been treated well by the military yep. and that even if he were to, uh, were to return to his country or when he returns, that he would not reverse that statement. Um I think that's right. Yeah. So I think I think that was something. And then also to show the uh, there is a difference uh, as one who is really trying to uh, understand more and more about uh, the situation. There is certainly a difference between the uh, the role that the military plays uh, in in abiding by international standards uh, and conventions uh, as opposed to the citizens of a nation, because that's right. they had to, from what I understand, the military is who intervened on, as far as um, uh, uh, securing his safety because the the people were not as accommodating. Right, right. And, and the, the interesting thing is, uh, and this raises a larger issue, is, is that in all of these developments over the past week, the only evidence and footage that we have is from the Pakistani side. The Indians have made all sorts of claims and provided zero evidence. So even on this point that you're saying, you're absolutely correct. There were Pakistanis there, uh, um, mobs of Pakistanis that were very angry at this Indian pilot that, that, and, and, you know, probably were going to beat him up or do something. And that makes That's, sense. You know, the, the, <laughs> But, 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 but yeah, but the, but, at the very least, but, but, but the Pakistani military said, no, no way. And he was accompanied from there uh, and so on. But, but, but the point is that, and we have so much footage of that, that it's verifiable. Um, and 
footage of the Indian plane that went deep. So, so from the Pakistani side, they are presenting all the evidence and footage, and the Indians keep making claims of this that no evidence. It, it, they act. They are acting just like the United States acted after 9/11. We're going to do what we want, even if 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 the Taliban said that. Look, we're willing to kind of t- give us evidence that these guys did it. We may even hand them over. No evidence. Right. So for the big he- the big hegemonic, powerful, uh, uh, you know, powers, they don't need to give evidence. They just expect everyone <laughs> to kind of comply, uh, and that's what's happened here. Well, let, let me ask you this, Professor. Um, the reports of 40 Indian military uh, soldiers who were killed um, within the Kashmir. Right. Um, but, this, uh, but this is, I think, what needs to be understood. And this is, of course, I say all of this with the greatest regret that any time human life is taken, right? And there's some numbers that I want, I want to run past you to get your... Uh, get your thoughts on to give us some perspective on. But re- with regard to those individuals yeah. who were killed, uh, these were folks, from what I understand, who were, they were breaking, or, or were they breaking um, uh, treaty, or were, were they in were they in a space that they were not legally supposed to be in? And that, oh, right. yeah, yeah. Could, could you kind of mm-hmm. talk a bit about that? Because I think, you know, it's important to understand the context unfortunately, of, you know, of, of violence. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, so as you started your comment, I couldn't agree more with it. You know, any loss of life um, in any capacity, you know, we, we mourn for and it's, and it's sad. Having said that, we are talking about a, a region. Now, now, this is the part where, again, the, the, the sheer uh, engineered ignorance of Western populations by the media uh, is is so tragic because of the human toll that it has taken in a place like Kashmir. Uh, we we know about a lot of other places. We're even getting to know about Palestine now, but still, Kashmir remains a place where many Westerners uh, will not know much about. It is the most densely military um, militarily occupied area in the world. There are more than seven hundred thousand Indian troops. Uh, stationed in Kashmir. I mean, we have to got to get our heads around that. That doesn't wow. even count a paramilitary and police forces. We're talking about just military. Wow. And th- and then they want to say Kashmir is a <laughs> is a normal part of India. I mean, who who can one sell who can one sell that to and and still believe it? Uh, so you have it's it's an illegal military occupation. So these are occupation soldiers that are there, illegal occupation soldiers. And the road where this bomb took place is the most heavily guarded bomb, uh, road in, in maybe in, in the entire world. Uh, it has checkpoint after checkpoint. It's worse than the Israelis uh, uh, in, in, in the occupied territories. Now, um, they, the, the, the bomb, which it, it was a truck that had about 2,000 pounds of uh, bombs in, in it. That's why so many Indian soldiers um, uh, died in the attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their claim immediately was that this was a, by a militant group, uh, Jashim Muhammad, the, the Army of God, uh, uh, coming from Pakistan, supported from Pakistan. The usual narrative of India is that this cross-border terrorism. Mm-hmm. Um, however, no evidence, again, has been presented. Imran, the Prime Minister Imran Khan and Pakistan's immediate response was, if this is the case, 
uh, whether, provide evidence, please, even if you don't, we're willing to help in the investigation, we're willing to help you get the evidence. No mm. response, complete, absolute uh, rebuffing uh, of, of all of these attempts by the Pakistanis to, to help in this situation. In addition, the, the, the one important point in all of this is that the BJP government and the, the uh, of Prime Minister Narendra Modi, we know that it's right wing. We know that it's even semi-fascist. I mean, it makes no uh, apologies for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's particularly becoming really belligerent uh, these uh, last few weeks and months because elections are coming up in India and they are heavily predicted to lose and to lose badly. Now, we know that the, <laughs> that city uh, governments in these types of situations always look for mechanisms to, to show up support and his mass hysteria, fear uh, to an external enemy to often show up their own kind of power base. Right. And so many, even the Indian media, we don't have to go to kind of uh, kooky conspiracy theorists sitting in Pakistan or elsewhere. Initially, when this bomb attack took place, even within the Indian media, people were saying had they, you know, eyelids went up suspecting that, you know, the Indian government may have allowed this, enabled this to happen somehow uh, to, to shore up its own support and to kind of uh, divert the attention of the Indian people from the, the, the criminality of the BJP government itself uh, toward, oh, what Pakistan did to us again, what these Kashmiris did to us again, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned that we're looking at um, 700,000 troops. Right, that are occupying the Kashmir. That's right, and <clears throat> and I think this is an, a very important number because I think this is going to directly relate to some of the numbers that I want to give you and get your response uh, to, uh, and that is Indian violence in Kashmir or violence that is that has been related to or attributed to the presence of Indian military uh, since eighty nine. So the number of the number of, uh, of of people killed by the Indian Army since 1989, 94,479. Yeah. One hundred thousand, one hundred six thousand seventy-one. Now there are more. There are more. Just numbers that, uh, as I would continue, would 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 most likely make those who are listening just sicker yeah. and sicker, right? Absolutely. But I, I, and these numbers, it should be noted, this mm -hmm. isn't coming from uh, the Pakistani uh, Army headquarters. These are Amnesty International numbers. These are independent human rights. Uh, you know, organizations and their numbers. Right, right, right. And, and, right. and what this does, and I think in knowing these numbers that have been documented um, uh, and shared, I think this, I think, should push us back to the source of, right, the source of the conflict, the source of the disputation. And, uh, and let's bring back into conversation what the UN promised and the Indian and Pakistani um, governments agreed to, which was a right of self-determination. That's right. This was this was was brought up. This was agreed to, and this has not been the case. So as of right now, we have the occupation. We have these these terrible numbers 
uh, that represents lives that have been lost or just severely altered. But we still haven't gotten to a point where the original uh, the original suggestion or original agreement that would have allowed for some type of resolution to come about that still hasn't come up. And is it probably not as likely to become part of the conversation because of the emotion of folks now behind the attack, behind the, the fighter pilot, behind the, the rhetoric, the fascist government that's going out that wants to consolidate power? Will, we, right. get, will we get back to that point? What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, right. I, I, you know, this is this is really a, a major conundrum and a tragic one at that, because at the narrative and the discourse within India itself right now has moved so much to the right. Um, and that even the old, you know, Nehru promised uh, this, this plebiscite, which, of course, he, he never lived up to. Uh, and but there was always the hope that at some point uh, the, the the Indian state, the promise that they had made uh, to the UN that they would live up to it. But the problem is that in Indian uh, the Indian political class has gotten worse and worse on the question of Kashmir. And not only that, but uh, you know, and and we, we like to talk about you know the Pakistani military as as this huge problem that interferes in politics all the time. Uh, well, across the border in India, it's getting to that stage as well, where uh, the military high command often uh, interferes and makes sure that uh, the politicians don't uh, negotiate, don't meet with this uh, person, representative from Pakistan, so on and so forth. So they're just as uh, belligerent, and they have their own justification for it because of their the the more belligerence they they show towards Pakistan, the higher their military budget uh, mm. <laughs> becomes. Mm. So it's 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 really a sad case where uh, the, the idea that India has always tried to sell to K the world and to Kashmiris is Kashmir is an integral part of Kashmir. You know, to say that to a Kashmiri today is, is a is a cruel joke. Uh, the way they're treated, and they have been treated, and your the st the stats, the the uh, horrible statistics you you just uh, stated uh, are testimony testimony to that uh, the way that they've been treated. So the the, the Kashmiris at this stage, uh, if you the vast majority of the Kashmiris in India do not want to remain a part of India. That is pretty clear, mm -hmm. poll after poll after poll. The question is. Now, how, the, how how do the political balance of forces, you know, what what type of balances do you need on the ground or, and internationally as well to put the pressure for that plebiscite to actually take place? You know, this is the, the issue. Real, real politics always dominates. Mm -hmm. You have all of these UN resolutions, uh, uh, whether it's in, about this one in Kashmir, look at Israel-Palestine. But what teeth do they have if you have... The world's greatest superpower, um, you know, supporting, of course, Israel and now India as well in, 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 in the same way. So you have, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, Bolton spoke about um, the uh, triad of uh, tro Troika of, of evil in South America, of Cuba, Venezuela mm -hmm. and uh, Nicaragua. So I, mean, I think the Troika of the United States, Israel and India uh, is getting as that. You know, the, the, the Indians, in fact, uh, uh, paraded the the, uh, the fact that they used Israeli 
uh, missiles on their planes or something uh, where they uh, came now into Pakistan. So it's oh, wow. it's it's so it's it's thickening, right? The 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 you know these massive human rights abusers in these occupied territories of an oppressed peoples, at, at, you know, parading and showcasing, you know that they're cooperating in, in their war crimes and criminality. So, you know, that's the situation. Very unfortunate. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the, the international uh, connection and the international uh-huh. um, presence, right, that, that is really looming over this that allows for, well, I don't want to just say allow, but, uh, well, yeah, I'll say it, that allows for this type of uh, conflict to, uh, to exist um, as it does because, uh, I, I don't. I don't. I don't like to call myself cynical, but I, I do understand that that conflict is security for other people, right? There's conflict. There's security in the conflict that exists. Um, but when it mm-hmm. comes to uh, United States foreign policy, when it comes to uh, China, their foreign policy, and how they see this uh, conflict, how they uh, respond to mm-hmm. the human rights abuses, both these nations uh, uh, having veto power, you know, in the uh, in, in the UN. Um, I believe both That's have right. for, for Security Council. Um, yeah. So w- when it comes to that and it comes to their their involvement, their support, how important uh, and can it be expected? Uh, can it be expected that either of these um, either of these giants are going to be able to weigh in in a way that's going to uh, alleviate the distress uh, of the Kashmiris. Uh, right. What can be expected is that the United States is going to back India to, to the hills and yeah. will ne- has the policy since basically the collapse of the Soviet Union since 1990. Because during the Cold War, we should remember that India... Um, play, you know, was closer to the Soviet Union, was not, uh, a part of the non-aligned movement, and and uh, and at that time, uh, the Soviet Union didn't uh, want uh, the Kashmir issue really to be resolved, didn't put pressure on the world community or on India to resolve it. After the Soviet Union collapses, then the, India's new best friend becomes the United States, <laughs> and so the United States now is not going to allow any either multilateral organization like the UN or any third party or EU or Russia, China, anyone to try to bring these two to the table uh, for negotiations. That is the official policy of the United States. In fact, what's so funny is that during uh, the Obama administration, um, in his early years, Obama had sent a representative, an envoy, uh, for... Uh, AFPAC, or what he called AFPAC, Afghanistan and Pakistan. It was re- the old diplomat uh, from uh, from the Bosnia years, Richard Holbrook. Mm-hmm. And so Richard Holbrook, he had sent, and he had added to the India, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India, meaning ca- also Kashmir. And immediately, immediately the Indians uh, protested, and Obama took India and Kashmir off of that right away. He's like, we're not uh, touching it. So... Unfortunately, this is this is the policy of Washington to say that no, uh, that the basically India and Pakistan should uh, work this out themselves, which effectively means India doesn't have to do a darn thing. You know, it can, the status quo can remain. Right, right. Um, but what do we see? Do you do you think that, or do you have a sense that because of the the current um, this current heightened sense of um, I think. Dread. I think that a, that a lot of people um, have in looking at the potential 
of two nuclear powers in conflict uh, right now. Yeah. Uh, do you think that this coming election, uh, the elections that are, go- that, are, that are going to be held, that they have the potential to bring about some ease, even though uh, even though with those numbers that, you know, uh, that I just got through going yeah. through and a lot that I didn't give, um, it seems that a, a violent oppression has become the norm and it, it has gone unchecked. Do you think that this coming election rep- represents any type of a hope for uh, curbing that? Yeah, well, I think that uh, what we've seen since uh, basically 2016, the 1989 year uh, that you stated was important was because that's when uh, the mass uprising in Kashmir uh, took off, you know, their own version of their intifada. In 2016, it was in in some ways the the, the second uh, mass uprising in the summer of 2016, uh, that has been ongoing since then. And I think that, yes, you're absolutely right that the violent repression um, has been ongoing, and I don't see it abating or reducing in any way. But I think that the resistance is not going to reduce either uh, to that, in which case we, um, if the international, certainly uh, within Pakistan itself, but also other players like like China, <clears throat> potentially Russia, uh, and other countries ex- are able to express solidarity w- more and more with the Kashmiris. Uh, and I think we are looking at a geopolitical situation in that region where uh, American power uh, is seems to be declining. Its ability to maneuver in the way that it was able to before, it's absolutely clear that that, that has definitely declined, which is why it is so so reliant on India as its as its new best friend because it doesn't have any uh, friends in that air, in that region. It has mm. you know Australia, Japan, and India. You know, right. uh, and the rest of the countries uh, you know don't mean much. Um, so so we are seeing a geopolitical shift in this region in Asia where the centrality of Pakistan is becoming uh, more and more, particularly for China uh, as their relations deepen as the Chinese become dependent on the, on the Pakistanis for the port of Gwadar, where they're building a, a massive port, um, and now the Saudis have just come as well, and they've invested massively into Pakistan. So, so, so Pakistan's importance is increasing. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, what a lot of this is about um, is the irritation by India that Pakistan is actually doing well for once, and that Pakistan, we can that we're no longer able to spread the propaganda and sustain the image of Pakistan as just this pariah country, rogue nation supporting terrorist groups everywhere, and full of terrorism internally as well, uh, with a rogue military and intelligence. Uh, so that image that they that the Indians thrived on uh, in, in 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 telling the international community, you know, this country can't be. You know, that's slowly going away, and, and, and Pakistan is taking steps towards massive economic development and so on. Uh, and I think that that is the greatest irritation right now for, for India, uh, that this country is actually doing well. And, uh, and the other part of it, so, um, and sorry to go on and on, but a oh, very course, yeah. important part of it, mm-hmm. a very important part is that what the Indians did right now, uh, this incredibly reckless and dangerous move, right, to 
for an Indian fighter jet to go deep into Pakistani territory, the Pakistanis don't know whether this is a nuclear armed jet or anything about it to do that was actually to send a message to Pakistan to tell Pakistan that basically what you thought that you had this nuclear deterrent, mm -hmm. that even though you're in conventional uh, warfare, you're, uh, in conventional military terms, you're far inferior and you think your nuclear deterrent will just keep us away. No, we're, we, we don't care about that. We're still going to come in and, 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 and attack you. So that was a message that they wanted to send, that we're, we don't care about your nuclear weapons. We're still going to. But the Pakistanis responded in kind. And the Pakistanis, uh, you may have read about this, so the Pakistanis sent two <laughs> fighter jets across the Indian border, had no intention of doing anything but just telling the Indians that we can also cross the border. Right. And they just came back. <laughs> right. So, right. so this, this, is, this has been a part of the equation as well, because you're absolutely right. There are two nuclear powers. Uh, joining neighbors. I mean, you know, that. where do you have that with such levels of hostility? Yeah. So the, the, that, that military calculus is also very, very important when thinking about what's, what's been happening this past week. You know, what we, I, you know, I, I hate that I'm bringing this up right now because um, I don't think we're going to have time to really go into it. But the uh, the economic factor that exists within all of this, uh, you mentioned about the investment, foreign investment that's taking place in Pakistan. Uh, India, from what I understand, has gone through a yeah. slowed growth in its own economy that uh, they're not. It doesn't look like it's going to be uh, recovering as quickly as they might like. While we see the opposite taking place for Pakistan, um, war, however, is really is usually a deterrent for foreign investment. Uh, so, exactly. so that's you know, it's kind of like you know, you're shooting yourselves uh, in the foot uh, on that. And uh, I appreciate that point you just made about. Well, we don't care if you got nukes. We got nukes, too. Right. So and it becomes right. a question of, well, who nobody wants to use them. Right. It's a, it's a deterrent. Right. So now and, it and devolves that, into and, a conventional and, and, and that brother, uh, military. That brother was a, that brother was Imran Khan's speech today. I mean, this guy has just been an incredible statesman throughout this conflict. His speech was saying we are two nuclear armed powers. Right. This is insanity. Yeah. Uh, and he said, my brotherly country, to, I mean, it, it, you're, the, the listeners have to listen to that speech and to, to see the, the sheer difference of the rhetoric coming from Islamabad and New Delhi to see that the things have changed completely and they, their percent, and our perceptions of these two countries should also change, you know, at the same time. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's the, the, the belligerence is coming from New Delhi. It is not coming from Islamabad. Before we, before we um, let you get out of here, Professor, I want to ask you, where would you recommend um, our listeners go to to get some good, uh, to get some good and accurate coverage? Uh, I know I mentioned, I think, earlier on Al Jazeera and BBC. Uh, are there any other outlets that you would recommend folks to go to? Because, it, like I said, it doesn't seem like uh, it's getting much coverage here in the U.S. Right. I would suggest uh, I would suggest two uh, uh, websites in particular. One is um, Asia Times. Asia Times. Uh, it's actually online. Okay. So AsiaTimes.com. Okay. Asia and Times. And the other one. That's right. And the other one is Eurasia Eurasia Future. Dot uh, com. Okay. Well, I thank you so much for the perspective. 
um, you've given us quite a bit to think about. And at the very least, uh, we may not have much individual impact. We can certainly pray for reconciliation and pray for the uh, the relief, absolutely, uh, especially for those um, uh, Kashmiris who have had to deal with the brunt of this uh, conflict. So we definitely pray for them. And thank you so much for taking the absolutely. time to talk with us. Oh, absolutely. Jazakallah, brother. Inshallah, we'll do this again. Inshallah. All right. Assalamu alaikum. All right. Assalamu alaikum. That was Professor Junaid Ahmed, the Iqbal Chair of Pakistan Studies at the University of Leeds, UK, also the Director for the Center for Global Studies and Assistant Professor at the University of Management and Technology in Lahore. We're going to take a short break, but we will be back in a moment. This is Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM.